So I was uh, really excited about preaching until I had to follow Ron. So I had some points, but I'm pretty sure they're all law. So <laughs> could I just mix it up? Yeah, I know. Just <laughs> now, how good was that? I love it. I want to encourage you guys today as those who are in the arena of life. You know, uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote this. It's not the critic who counts or the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man or the woman who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again because there is not effort without error and shortcomings. But who does actually strive to do the deed? Who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. I feel like the Lord was saying to us this morning who are here, well done, good and faithful servants. Well done, those who are in the arena. Well done, fathers and mothers. Well done, uh, leaders. Well done, young people. Well done in your service. Well done in your faithfulness. Following Jesus, the, the church, Jesus' bride, is not something to be critiqued from the sidelines. Leading is not something to be talked about in the classroom. It's to get involved in. It's to do. It's to work out. It's to put our hand to the plow and, you know what? We make mistakes. But because of Jesus, we, keep, we can keep going. Because of the Spirit, we're empowered. It's not for us to sit on the sideline and go, yeah, that, you know, that was good, and I like that, and you know, I really hope my pastor hears that, and I hope we make some changes when we go back. It's for us to, to lay hold of it and to get involved and to do it. And I felt like I wanted to encourage us today. Following Jesus is this lifelong pursuit of engaging with what we learn and engaging and doing even when we make mistakes. Don't let the mistakes, as we heard from Ron, sideline us. Don't, don't get down on ourselves, but continue to put our hand to the plow, even in the hard times. Don't let, don't let the blows or the mistakes sideline you from what God's called you to do. Stay the course. I love the, just what God is doing in the young people this morning. Can I say, um, I started leading a church, young people, when I was 26 years old. Now, that's, that's older than some, but it's younger than most. I always thought that I'd be about 50 when I led a church. I thought, you know, one day. Down the track, I'd lead. And I, I found myself at 26 leading. To be honest, I had no idea what we, we had no idea what we were doing. But you know what? If you talk to anyone who's leading, they probably say, we had no idea what we were doing. We still don't know what we're doing. We're just hearing Jesus and we're going for it. Don't let your youth stop you. Don't think, you know what? It's only when I'm 35 or 40 or own a house or married with five kids or whatever it is. If God's calling you to it, then he's calling you to it. Be faithful, put your shoulder to the plow, get involved, and allow God to open the doors. Be encouraged this morning. Keep pursuing Jesus. Keep leading. For those of you who have had a rough season, keep going for it. Keep parenting. Keep serving. Keep believing. My wife and I uh, had, had a day off a few weeks ago, and we decided to go for a, It was good. We decided to go for a drive. And uh, we got this old car, and we, we took it out for a drive, and um, we didn't know where we were going. And for her, that was amazing. She was like, this is, isn't this great? And for me, it was like the worst experience of my life. 
It was not relaxing at all. We, I felt like we drove around for three hours and never got anywhere. She just, you know, it was, for her, it was like, it was quality time. For me, I was like, but where are we going? She's like, it doesn't matter. We'll just find a place. I, I, that's great, but where are we going? No, 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 no. When we get there, we'll know. I'm like, well, how are we going to know? Are we, yeah, I'm like, are we there? And she's like, I don't know, but we'll know when we get there. That sort of thing's great for a day off. It's great for, uh, you know, for, for time together as a couple. We had a nice time, but with no destination in mind, you don't end up going anywhere. With no destination in mind, it's good for a day off, but it's not great when it comes to leading or ministry. See, when it comes to life and to church, if we're not intentional about where we're going and how we get there, then we're in danger of either wandering aimlessly or even going astray or leading others astray. If we're not intentional about being Jesus-focused and keeping that the main thing, then we're in danger of making other things the focus. There has to be an intentionality on our part as leaders and as those who are involved in churches and involved in areas of ministry of where we're going and how we're going to get there. Because at best, if we don't know where we're going and we're not intentional, at best we don't reach our goal. But at worst, we end up either hurting ourselves or even worse, hurting other people. Jesus was intentional. He chose specific people to be his disciples. He taught them, he showed them, he prepared them for what was in store for their future. There was an intentionality with which he ministered. Jesus came for, for a purpose, and he ministered and led with that purpose in mind. It, it, even, even when he was before Pilate, he could have opened his mouth and got off. Pilate asked him some simple questions that there were answers to. But Jesus had an intentionality. He knew that he had come to go to the cross. So he kept his mouth closed so that the purpose of God would be fulfilled. He intentionally didn't speak up. Paul was intentional. He wanted wanted the gospel to be heard by everyone. He wanted churches to be planted. The decisions he made, the trips that he went on, what he gave his time to and what he didn't give his time to were all with this purpose in mind. Being intentional means to, to, to do something on purpose, deliberate, done in a way that's planned or intended. Some of the other words that pop up if you, if, you, uh, if you look at intentional or calculated, conscious, considered, studied, knowing, willful, purposeful. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ephesians 3? I'm going to read from verse 14. Too often we have a vague idea of where we want to go, but we have no intentionality about how we're going to get there, and therefore we wander aimlessly. We end up like the Israelites spending 40 years in the wilderness for what should have been a two-week trip. We get sidetracked and we think, I kind of think I want to be over there somewhere, but we don't know how to get there. I think there needs to be an intentionality, not only in our leadership, but in how we live and in what we do. Ephesians 3 from verse 14 says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. It says, therefore, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, it says he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he, talking of Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or mature womanhood, to the, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. What is the goal? What are we aiming at? If we're going to be intentional, we need to know what we're being intentional about. Uh, 3 verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all, you say all, until we all obtain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal is Jesus. The goal is that we grow into maturity and that we grow into the fullness of Christ. That's what we're aiming at. The goal is that, that those that we lead and those that we're partnering with and those in our churches and those that haven't yet come to know Jesus but will grow into the fullness of who he is. To that end, Jesus has given us gifts. He's given us tools for the job. Jesus, uh, uh, I believe we need to apply these gifts, these roles to our life. I know that these, these, these Ephesians 4, five-fold gifts are offices. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Obviously, I'm a part of a, an Ephesians 4 team. Our church's partner with a team made up of, uh, uh, of these gifts from around the globe. But I also think that we can, we can take these gifts and we can look through their lenses. We not, might not be that gift, but we can be intentional about looking through their lenses in a sense and, and applying them to our lives and to our churches. So how do we do that? How, do, how can we be intentional 
in living with these Ephesians 4 gifts in mind. Whether, whether I'm a prophet or not, or evangelist or not, or an, an apostle or not, we can all be intentional about viewing through these lenses. The first one is, is the apostle. Originally, they, they were men who were in direct contact with Jesus. That, I mean, that's that thing of, of pointing us back to Jesus. They represented the one they were with to the world. Are our hearts, we've heard this already, are our hearts captivated with Jesus? Are our churches captivated with Jesus? Are, 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 are the, the areas of ministry that we lead captivated with Jesus? How are we representing Jesus? You know, there's a lot, a lot of things that we can do and that we can get involved in. They can be good things. But is what we're doing Jesus-focused? Can I say if we want more of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit, of the presence of God, then keep Jesus the focus. Because the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. If we, in every area of our, of, our, of our ministry, in every area of the church, uh, is our parenting pointing our kids to Jesus or to our culture? Is our leading pointing people to Jesus or our culture? Is our music pointing people to Jesus or to something else? Is our kids' ministry pointing, people to, pointing our kids to Jesus or to something else? Being intentional about being Jesus-focused means that we're sure we're focused on Jesus and we're focused on what we're for, not what we're against. I'm amazed how often uh, we become focused on what we're against. I think it's because at times it can be easier to pick a cause. But the people know what we're for, not just what we're against. I say constantly to our church, we, we, we can't be known for what we're against. We have to be known for who we're for. We can't be known for that, the, the, the cause or the thing that, you know, that stirs our heart uh, and, and talk against that thing all the time. Because you know what? When you bring up that thing that you're against, all you do is separate and divide and alienate people. But when we rave about Jesus and who we're for, it brings people together. It brings people in. That's why there can be people who are totally different from me in our church. I can minister to people who have, I have nothing in common with, but when I rave about Jesus, they respond to him, not to what I have in common with them. But if I'm known for what I'm against, all I do is gather people who already believe what I believe or push people away. There's a thousand things we can be against, but do people know who we're for? Can I, say, can I go as far as to say some of us need to stop being keyboard warriors? Stop worrying about what the future holds and, stop, and start talking about Jesus. Stop attacking people on the internet and, and start raving about Jesus. Am I shooting some holy cows? I, you're right. He's still there. The prophet, someone who hears God, who hears what he's saying and proclaims it at the right time. I, I love what Mark shared last night about hearing God. We need to be a people who hear God. We need to be hearing his voice. We need to be found in worship and in his presence so that, we, that, that we're following his voice, just not, our, not just our good ideas who hears God and, and then proclaims what he's saying at the right time. Can I say that the right, that the right time might not be straight away? Some things are to say, but a lot of things, maybe most things are to pray. Are we hearing God? Are we 
hearing him for our lives? Are we hearing him for our families? Are we hearing him for our workplace, for the things that we're involved in in church? What is God saying to you this week? Are you taking note of what God's saying to you? When we had a time of ministry last night, if someone gave a word, a word to you, did you take note of that? I love asking that question of our, of our leaders and our church. So what's God saying to you today? Dad, my dad used to do this to me all the time, and I'd be like, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Now he, now he gives TK a hard time. That's why we sent him over here. But it's a, it's a question that needs to be asked. Because you might not be a prophet, but we live by hearing God's voice. Are we viewing through the lens of the prophetic? Are we hearing God's voice for our areas of ministry and for our churches? Are we hearing for our lives? Is there a prophetic edge or an, an intentionality about listening to what God's saying? Because it takes some intentionality. It takes setting some time apart. Some, you know, stilling ourselves, some, you know, making time to worship and to be in his presence and to say, whatever area of ministry you're in, this is not just for the guys who are, who are, you know, leading a team that leads the church, this is for all of us. Whether it's for your family or your business or your kids, you say, God, what are you saying for my kids? Lord, what are you saying for my business? Lord, what are you saying for, for, uh, for the cafe today? Are we taking time to hear what God's saying? Are we asking God for supernatural insight into people's lives? To the people that we come into contact with? In a meeting context? Are we connecting with the elders? Are we talking uh, to the person preaching, the person leading the meeting, and saying, what are you feeling God's saying? Is there an intentionality to include not just, uh, you know, not, not just I'm going to have a, uh, you know, spend my little five minutes and do the prayer thing, but to actually say, God, what do you want to say to the people I'm going to meet today? What do you want to say to the business meeting I'm going into? Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Does what we're hearing bring glory to Jesus and does it represent his heart? Are we intentional about hearing God and helping others hear God? What do you feel God's saying? What has God been speaking to you? The third area is the evangelist. 2 Timothy 4 verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. We don't like that bit so much, but it's there. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Obviously, salvation is not what we do. We can't save anyone. I wish I could, but I can't. But we can be intentional about weaving the gospel into our conversations and our interactions and our times together. Are we leading people towards salvation? Do we talk about what God's doing in our life? Are we leading people toward this amazing grace that Ron talked about? Toward freedom? Are we we not just focusing on the negative, but saying, you know what, there is a negative, but there's an answer, and the answer is Jesus, and you need to know him if you don't. Do we make an opportunity for people to know Jesus? You know, so often we're, uh, we're good at sharing testimonies and telling people about what Jesus has done, but we're often not that great at closing the deal because we get embarrassed. 
You know, it's not as confronting to be like, you know, this is what Jesus did in my life. You know, especially if you got like, something like I was healed or I was set free or I was like this and now I'm like this. And then we kind of go, cool, I'm just going to leave it. Jesus did some cool stuff. If you want to know him, you know, just you can read the Bible or come talk to me later. We're not great at kind of closing the deal in a sense because we don't want to seem pushy. We don't want to step on people's toes. Sometimes we just need to say, do you want to know Jesus? I have the answer. Do you want to know Jesus now? There's only a couple of responses. No or yes or maybe. If they say no, cool. If they say yes, wow. But if we don't ask, we don't, we, we don't have the opportunity for them to say yes or no. I've been amazed at, at, at when, we've actually, when I've actually taken that step. I said, you know what? Do you want to know Jesus right now? I've been amazed how often people go, yeah. I don't know how to do that, but yeah. Are we po- and so we can then explain to them how, how to do that, how to make Jesus Lord of their life. Are we pointing people towards salvation in every area of ministry, in every area of our life, in every area of our churches? Are we weaving the gospel into our worship? Are we giving opportunity for our, for our kids to accept Jesus? Had this, uh, this interesting thing happened. We have a whole bunch of um, kids who don't know Jesus yet come to our youth. Um, and that creates an interesting, uh, an interesting thing because they go home and they tell their, their parents who also don't know Jesus and have no church background that, you know, we talked about, about the Holy Spirit. And so the parents call up and go, you're talking about spirits. This is like, and we had one of our, one of our, 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 our parents say, you know, it's like, it's, it's weird and it's hard and like, the, you know, maybe we should just tone it down. You know, the, I, I, she didn't want them to be uncomfortable. I was like, you know what? I want them to be uncomfortable because I want them to accept Jesus. We, we, we have to explain some things, but we want these kids to come along and see Jesus and then respond to him. Yeah. Are we pointing people towards salvation? The, the shepherd or pastor? The word shepherd is intentional. It's about gathering. It's about caring for people. Are we sports cars or are we buses in our ministry? We use this often with, uh, when we talk about worship and songs. You know, a sports car is, um, is real flashy. It's nice to drive. It's loud. You know, if someone pulls up in a Lamborghini, you're going to know it. You're going to hear it coming down the street. You're going to know it's there. But the problem with the Lamborghini is it only seats two people. And so when the guy gets out, you go, oh, wow, you're cool. You drive a cool car. Look at your cool car. Who's, ever, who's caught the bus recently? The bus is not a Lamborghini. It's not as cool. Nobody goes, wow, look at that cool bus. Can I ride your cool bus? But a bus gets a lot of people from one place to another place. The bus brings people to whatever we're doing. Are we sports cars or are we buses? Are we shepherds? Are we bringing people, even though it might not look cool, even though it might not be as comfortable, even though it might not have air conditioning or the flashy sound system, are we bringing people 
in what we're doing? Are we thinking intentionally about people or are we sports cars where we look good and everyone looks at us and goes, wow, you look good and that looks cool, but there's nobody coming with us? Are we intentional about caring for people and helping people grow? Are we looking for room? Are we looking for ways to make room and to release people to what they're called to? It's the, it's the constant challenge in, area, in any area of ministry to constantly be pushing it away from ourselves and giving other people a shot and give, releasing them to do what God's called them to do. Is it about me getting my opportunity my gift being seen, or is it about making room for others and helping them grow? Shepherding is about making people feel like they're a part of something. It's about making them feel valued. It's giving them an opportunity to give input. It's making it more about them growing and reaching their potential than me getting ahead. That's the difference between a bus and a sports car. You know, people know when you genuinely care for them or when you're just putting it on. We can fake it, but they know. We think they don't, but they know if you really care for them if you don't. So are we being caring? Are we blowing wind in their sails and encouraging them? Shepherding is a heart thing. We have to love people, pray for people. The fifth one is the teacher. Obviously, we need to be intentional in every area of life. These are just some things to get us thinking this morning. Are we teachers of theology? Are we people who teach about Jesus? We make sure we're keeping the main things the main things. If you're unsure, talk to somebody. If you're leading a, a, a home group and you're unsure, then talk to one of the other leaders. Don't become an island. Stay connected. Um, the, you know, the, the elder's role is to set doctrine and direction for the church. So if you don't know whether this is the, you know, the, the right focus or the right thing, then go talk to the elders. And if they don't know, they'll talk to somebody else. And if nobody knows, then we'll figure it out. Are we teachers? Are we teaching people about Jesus? Are we communicating the heart of what God's called us to as a church? Or are we just teaching our latest podcast or the latest book that we've read? You know, we want to teach people while at the same time revealing something of the wonder and the majesty of Jesus. You know, we can take something as, can I say as mundane, but I think it's important, as finances, and we can, we can do this. We can view through these lenses. We kind of go, oh, wait, you know, finances. It's... We can do this. We can say, you know what? Dealing with finances is a practical thing that points us to the wonder of God, our provider. It doesn't have to just be like, oh, it's just it's finances. You know what? God's our provider. He provided Jesus as, as the atonement, as a sacrifice for our sins. We can, we can take something simple like finances and in it show people something of the wonder of who God is how he provided for us, our salvation, our atonement through Jesus' sacrifice. It's communicating in a way that's apostolic, evangelistic, pastoral, teaching. It's all of those things. It's just being intentional and thinking about how am I going to say this? What am I going to do? How do we do what we do to reach that goal? Hebrews 5 verse 12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, 
for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. There's this, there's this thing for us as we gather together of the salt, milk, solid. In any, in any gathering, probably apart from, from our, our more equipping times where there's probably a little bit more maturity, there's those who need salt, there's those who need milk, and there's those who need solids. There's those who need the, as teachers, the gospel. Salt is the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel that Jesus is there for you to take you from your brokenness to freedom. There's those who need, who need milk, who need the relational content, the emotional response. There's those who need solids to plumb the depths of who God is, his nature, his character, his deeds. And we can do all three. It doesn't have to be one or the other. That's the reality of being intentional. Can I finish with this? 2 Timothy 4 verse 5. Again, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Discharge the duties of your ministry. Don't try and fulfill somebody else's ministry, but be intentional in what God's called you to. Albert Einstein's widely credited with saying this, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Can we be leaders who are intentional in our leadership? As we go back, not just to do the same thing again and again and hope that something will change, but saying this is the goal, this is where we're going, let's be intentional about how we get there. Thank you, guys.